Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, alongside Jonathan. This is episode number 92. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we appreciate everyone for listening in today. Before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to join us today. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. So, how are you doing this fine Sunday, Mr. Daniel? I'm sleepy. Ready to, I'm ready to take a nap. <laughs> okay. What about you? I don't know. I know it's towards the end of the night here, but I don't know. Kind of just going through the motions. You ever go through that experience where you know the day? You know the time and hours are just going by and I guess you're so caught up in what you're doing that you're not really thinking too deep about how the day's going. You sort of just going through the motions. Well, I like to believe when you have days like that, it's more based on the fact that, see, I have a saying, I stop when I'm finished, not when I'm tired. So I totally understand where you're coming from with that statement. Yeah, it's like I don't feel super tired, right? I haven't yarned. And I don't feel satisfied. And I don't feel upset. It's kind of mellow. All right, just right in the middle. That's good. That's a good way to be neutral, you know? Yes, you know, so I guess sometimes when you're in the midst of doing things and you have that mindset, kind of balanced and I like to get in those spaces when I'm like exercising and whatnot you know you're, you're, conser- you're conserving your energy you're not expending too much and before you know it time is ticking by and you're just going with the flow of how things are going and before you know it, it's over that's kind of how I feel about I think that should be your state, your your normal state, ninety percent of the time, though. You know, like unless yeah. if you need to expend energy, don't, and you should never be too high or too low in one direction, because then you can get swept in, swept in trying to achieve or contain highs when it's not supposed to be a consistent state. Or if you're too low, then if you're vibrating way too low, <laughs> well, that's a problem. Cause then it's like you can never get to a point where you can do things either so yeah staying right in the middle is good well you see what's so interesting about that too is that when you encounter people and you're like that they have this inclination to be like hey smile you know show us how you feel are you okay you know and it's sort of like yeah i'm fine why did you automatically assume something's wrong because a lot of people yeah but a lot of people aren't uh, a lot of people don't walk around content (laughs) so (laughs) I think there's this uh, they always say this about Americans right it's like oh it's like they're always on happy pills or something they just have this this need to be happy and it's like no sometimes just yeah I'm good that's staying calm staying cool a lot of people don't have that so it's unusual to see yeah, so interesting way to start our conversation. So let's be 
actually begin with a question today. And I'm going to ask you this question. Genuinely, genuinely, I would say, what are you passionate about? And how do you feel your passion? You know, this is going to sound like a sarcastic response, but it's actually a genuine response because I'm gen- I'm passionate about being genuine. <laughs> which is which is like I could totally see like um how that would come across sarcastic. But I think being authentic and being genuine, being honest and making what you say impactful and substance filled that's what i'm passionate about and if if you ask me how i fuel that passion it's it's pretty easy to fuel because it comes from within you don't have to do much to fuel it because it's who you are it's natural it's natural to you your your thoughts um how you feel about things what you understand about things because i like to go based off of what i know when i understand more than what i feel so yeah, I'm genuinely passionate about those things. What about you? Okay, fair enough. To me, I'm I'm passionate about, you know, being a representation of Christ and having conversations with people. At one point in my life, you know, I was on the side of being ignorant. I didn't know. And now that I'm in a pos- position where I've educated myself and I'm in the known, I'm in the knowing aspect. I almost feel obligated and privileged to be able to enter a space and share some of the things that I've learned in my study time and I've learned and I want other people to know. So there's something that I feel within this excitement, this privilege feeling, this content feeling about sharing the message of the gospel about talking about Jesus and I've gotten that feeling ever since that I devoted myself to learning more about God so I would say in regards of what I'm passionate about that's what I'm passionate about and what fuels that is the opportunity that I get to study throughout the week and then I come on the podcast and I share or I get to speak with other people and learn more about how God has been a blessing to them. So constantly being in that space of independent study and learning about other people's walk, to me, is always rejuvenating and it's always amazing and privileged to be in those sort of conversations. So I've enjoyed this aspect of my life. You don't sound very passionate. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's for you to feel, and that's for me to know within that I'm passionate. I like about. that. Yeah, my I like job that is response. Not to persuade you. Either you accept what I said, or you don't. You or where you on. got that from? <laughs> yeah, well, great minds think alike. All right, so prayer we're time. We're gonna start with prayer. We obviously got a lot to get to today. So yeah, let's get started. Father God, in Jesus' name, I just want to appreciate your patience with me and everyone else. As sin increases every day, grace abounds every day also. 
Lord, your love for me and humanity at large cannot be measured. I sometimes wonder how a holy God can be so tolerant of his own creation when they have decided to reject him and claim that you don't exist and blame you for killings and disasters that happen in the world. The truth of the matter is, humanity has decided to press forward by living selfishly while in the pursuit of one's desires to flourish in separation from you. The heart of the matter is to be continually discussed. Today we ask, what does it mean to be pure of heart, Lord, as we go into your word today? Bless us, open up our understanding. Help us tap into our purpose as we question what drives us, what motivates us. Are you the center of our lives and the way we think, move, and operate? Have your way as we examine ourselves today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yo, so as we move into part six, our beatitude for today is actually an interesting one. We plan to cover a lot, so it is encouraged to take notes and listen to this episode more than once. There are so many different directions we can go into if we are being honest here. So let's get started. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to use the English Standard Version from where we start. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So hit my heart on what I'm about to say. If we were to look at this verse separate from its biblical context and view it in its own statement, I will believe universally those who believe in a God would agree with this statement. The reason I say that is because the interpretation of this verse without a biblical context is missing two things. One, the pursuit of truth. And two, the change that happens due to the Jesus Christ effect. This verse out of the biblical context would seem pure in its own right according to God believers which is stinks of universalism and theosophy ideologies so let's unpack this verse from an occultist point of view and a theosophy terminology then we are going to unpack this from a biblical point of view so an occultist point of view is the concept that all the religions are the same. And therefore, no matter what you believe, as long as you walk the path right according to that belief, you'll be okay. Do you tend to agree with that? Of course not. But it is respectful to mention this perspective a little bit and kind of dive into the point of view and the inspiration that came from it. This sort of, you know, ideology gave birth between the 70s and 80s. 
So the idea is everyone is going to the same place. Therefore, embrace the spiritual ritual practices. Now let's define theosophy. Daniel, what is theosophy? Theosophy teaches that the purpose of human life is spiritual emancipation. It says that the human soul undergoes reincarnation upon bodily death according to a process of karma. It promotes values of universal brotherhood and social improvement. Although it does not stipulate particular ethnic codes. Any of a number of philosophies maintaining that a knowledge of God may be achieved through spiritual means, direct intuition, or special individual practices. All right, very good. So, the four major belief systems in the world is Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism. Let's go back to the verse. I want to reread the verse, Daniel. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So to be pure in the heart from an occultist theosophy point of view is to have good intentions based upon worldly and personal standards with the inclusion of religious ideologies of what is good. So examples of this are basic intentions of random acts of kindness. So such as holding the door for people behind you, volunteering in your community. Volunteering at a local breakfast program or soup kitchen, fostering animals from the holidays, visiting people in nursing homes. Maybe you make good money and you're a person who decides to tip generously. You believe in spreading love by helping your neighbor out whenever you can. Cutting grass that belongs to other people, shoving snow, even donating food and clothing. Now, these are great examples of good deeds. So from a religious standpoint, this is what three religions believe when it comes to the value of good deeds. In the Islamic belief system, they believe that Allah multiplies the reward for good deeds. They believe that your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds to enter into paradise and be safe from punishment. In Hinduism, they believe that a soul who does good, karma, which is good deeds, in this life will be awarded with a better life in the next incarnation. In Buddhism, merit-making is the result of good deeds. It's a practice that is supposed to bring about good and agreeable results that determines the quality of the next life and contributes to a person's growth towards enlightenment. Now, unfortunately, I hate to break this to you, but as a follower of Christ, the message is different from those three. Doing good deeds, according to the Christian faith, does not guarantee your access into heaven. Doing good deeds does not mean you're a great person either. Yes, I know people believe that these types of actions define the pureness within your heart. That is what the other three belief systems declare. Yep, it appears that with good intentions, you are viewed as a good person, and most people would validate this based upon an experience of feeling good and accomplishing and helping others. So here are a few verses that will help you understand a little bit more of the Christian perspective. Then I want to share a story that I recently had 
I had a conversation with with someone else. I'm going to share that story. And of course, I want to do this before we dive into this verse and view it from a much more proper biblical context. But what I am explaining to you is that this verse out of its biblical context can have value when it comes to universalism and it comes to practices. So we understand that this verse comes out of the Beatitudes, which declares that you're blessed because of these things. But if you take it out of its context and you look at this particular verse separate from that, you can see how useful that it could be. Right. It's talking about pureness of heart and then lies your desire and your ability to want to do good deeds. According to those other the three belief systems that were just mentioned, that's a positive. OK, so let's look at Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through ten in the English Standard Version. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So very powerful verse there. According, you know, to God, according to this verse here that Paul writes, is that Access to heaven is not what you know, it's who you know, and that will have to be Christ Jesus. It's his gift to us, not something we have to earn through works, but it is promised to those who place their faith in him. So another good understanding of this is because we are in Christ and we're, we're shielded and protected, of course, because of Christ, we do good works so the result of being in christ leads to the good works that we do there is not a declaration that the good deeds is something that must be accomplished when it comes to your salvation but it's something that is suggested and something that you ought to do when christ is the center focus of your life so it's the after effect kind of like a domino effect it's not the leading factor but it does play a part at some point that you will do those things if you are walking in obedience and truth and leaning on christ as your guider and director and what's important now let's go to luke chapter 18 we're going to read verses 18 through 19 in the english standard version a ruler asked him good teacher what must i do to in Herod, eternal life. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So as you can see, there's the challenge, right? God is the only one who is good. Why? Because in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how could we actually be good unless the standard of good to humanity is different and matters more in comparison to God. So based upon that verse, according to God, we're not technically good. But according to human standards, based upon the things that we do, that might potentially point in the direction of us being good. So, let's continue. Right, what I've spoken about so far up until this point are 
acts of goodness. The acts of goodness are fine. But the issue is that does not change the person you are within. Here's a biblical example of what I mean by this. So uh, taking baby steps so you can understand where I'm coming from. And I promise by the end of this, it'll be much more clear. We go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse 37 through 41. I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus is saying here. Daniel? When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who make the outside made the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Very good. So Jesus is using the cup and the dish as an example of a person. There's the outside that everyone sees, and there's the inside. The good that you do represents the outside goodness that you do. And most people see that. But the inside, only God sees. So let's look at a passage in Mark chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 14 to, through 23 to dive about you know, dive into this a little bit more in the English Standard Version. Damn. Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and it is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts sexual immortality, theft, murder, adultery, covenant, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Very good. So what defines a good person isn't what is done outwardly. What marks us as falling short and needing assistance is found in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 28 through 32. We're going to look at this in the NLT. Daniel? Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that shall never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder quarreling, deception, malice behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. 
They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet, they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So the truth of the matter is, people know the truth about God because he has made it clear to them. How? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that people know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, right? But since the world was created, people have seen earth and sky do everything God made. They can clearly see his, invi his invisible quality, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. However, some people today on their own refuse to worship him as God or even give him thanks. So, guess what? People become independent thinkers away from God and create their own ideas of what God is like. As a result, their mind becomes dark and confused. Paul says that they're claiming to be wise. They instead become wise in their own eyes, as the book of Proverbs says. Without Jesus Christ, people are left to their own ideas and thoughts. That brings me to share the story. So, not too long ago... There was a conversation I had with a man by the name of Terence McCullen, who is more or less an atheist. And he actually has a pretty interesting podcast called What's the Value? I actually like the podcast. He basically invites people on and his whole objective is to learn from them and apply what it is that they share with him to their personal lives. And I actually made an appearance on the show and because he gave me an invite. And of course, as a follower of Christ, it's my honor to represent Christ. So I attended, right? Our goal as followers of Christ is we don't force our belief down people's throat. But if people are interested in the faith and they want to learn more, then without question, you should be, you know, be a, a person that's, you know, unapologetic about what you believe and sharing it and being honest about it and being convicted about it. I think a person would respect it. And for him, he was reasonable. I believe he had a desire to learn. This is why we had the conversation. Now, he actually was kind enough to share the audio. So if you haven't checked it out, our conversation is, ap is actually episode 83. Now, we were supposed to do a part two. And well, that never happened. And right. He. At some point, I guess we're supposed to link up, but it's never got back to me. And that's fine, right? If it's going to be a part two, eventually it will. But this is what I want you to know. After we had a conversation, he came with a conclusion. And he made a separate video. And he spoke about, you know, what we talked about. And it's interesting because it was about God. And he said, what I understand that God isn't what we think it is that God isn't what we think he is he said that being submissive and obedient to God is problematic he stressed that out of his ego and arrogance he could not see himself acknowledging God in the way that he could and therefore he concluded that our desire to act good is God so the list I gave you earlier is God according to him now, Terrence didn't come up with something new. His view of God is something called pantheism. It's pantheism. That's what it's called. Now, I want to explain to you what pantheism is. The term is derived from the Greek words pan and theos. 
Pan means all of everything and Theos means God. So pantheism therefore means God is everything. Now there is no distinction in pantheism. Pantheism teaches that everything that exists is part of one single reality. That reality is called God. There is no distinction between the creation and the creator and pantheism. God is equal to everything and anything. Trees, rocks, birds, lands, animals, the wind, the rain, everything that exists, including human beings, is declared to be parts of God. God expresses himself through these substances and forces. Pantheism rejects the idea of a personal God. The Bible rejects the idea of pantheism. So I just want to give you a couple of verses in context so you can understand how the Bible rejects the idea of pantheism. But I just wanted to show you that, hey, you can have a conversation with someone and, you know, he's a philosopher and he was having this conversation and this is something that he thought out. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about that. But let's go to Genesis chapter one, verse one. And this is what it said. Daniel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we already know that that valid that validates and kind of debunks the idea of pantheism because it in the first chapter in the first verse is speaking about a personal God creating the heavens and the earth. Paul wrote in Romans chapter one, and we're going to read verses twenty through twenty three. Daniel. For since the for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his internal power and Godhead. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Okay, in Hebrews 11, verse 3, it also says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay, very good. The biblical narrative is that God made everything. And we go to the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 24, and it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven, and earth does not live in temples built by hands. Okay, the biblical point of view is that God is the sustainer of the universe. So we go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, and we're going to look at this in the English Standard Version, and this is what it tells us. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yeah, so I thought it was important to cover this because, again, I have a podcast friend named Terrence McCullen, who's a philosopher, and he's chosen to explore wisdom from his own perspective. And I believe Solomon put it in such a beautiful way when he said this literally in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. And we're going to look at this in the NIV, and this is what it says. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. All right, so let's take the time to unpack 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 from a biblical perspective. Remind the people of the verse again that we have for the Beatitude, Daniel. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, so let's talk through this. So the Greek word for pure is katharos. K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S. Again, it's K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S, which means to be clean, blameless, unsustained from guilt. Now, remember, as believers, we don't feel guilty. We feel convicted from the Holy Spirit, okay? It's a big difference between the two. The word pure can also refer specifically to that which is purified by fire or by pruning. Okay, let's unpack that a bit more. When Jesus said we should be pure in heart, that means having an exclusive dedication towards God. i said say that again. When Jesus said we should be pure in heart, that means having an exclusive dedication towards God. A pure-hearted person, right? A pure heart towards God has no hidden motives or agendas in their pursuit of God. Having a pure heart towards God has no hidden motives or agendas in their pursuit of God. Having a pure heart is marked by transparency and a desire to please God in all things. Having a pure heart is marked by transparency and a desire to please God in all things. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. What makes this different than the other three belief systems that was mentioned earlier is that it's more than an external purity of behavior. It's an internal purity of your soul. Remember, I spoke about mere acts of goodness, but that doesn't change you from within, which is where it needs to work. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 9 in the NLV. And this is what it says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Yeah, so last week I mentioned a passage in the Gospel of John, and I believe it was Gospel of John chapter 2, verse 25, and it states that no one needed to tell him, that him is Jesus, about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. So I got news for people, if you are listening. God knows on a daily basis if you are in pursuit of truth. He knows if you are truly warned against your flesh and doing better when it comes to resisting your sin. He knows if you are truly intending on wanting to know more about him. 
Just as the passage Daniel read, God will not be deceived and he will not be mocked. Nothing ever occurs to God because he knows your efforts. He knows your heart. He knows what you ought to pray about before you even ask him. So if you think fooling God, you're not fooling him. If you think you're fooling God, you're not fooling him. Okay? So being pure in heart truly will allow you to know the truth and see it for what it is. And I say this because, you know, being a follower of Christ is not easy. And, you know, we live our lives on levels and we arrive in stages. Some of the things we go through might take longer. Some of our efforts may not be seen. But what I want to tell you and encourage you today is that if you're trying, God knows. He sees it. If you're not putting in any effort, God knows. He sees it. He knows. If we go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 through 22 in the NIV, this is what it says. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands as do what pleases him. So because God is greater than your heart, attempting to try and pull one over God will not work. This is God's trump card. You may be able to fool your family and your friends, but you won't be able to fool God. It's between you and him. You know, another example of God focusing on the heart of a person is actually in the book of First Samuel, chapter 16, verse 7, in the English Standard Version, and this is what it says. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So when it comes to being pure of heart and you pursue to live in life God's way, it is very important that you remember these two verses that I'm going to tell you. One's in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 and it's in the NLT and it says, Guard your heart above else, for it determines the course of your life. Now read it again, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 in the NLT. Guard your heart above everything else, for it determines the course of your life. And I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. We're going to look at this in the King James Version, and this is what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Can you repeat it one more time? 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? One verse is saying, guard your heart. The other verse is speaking about the condition of your heart. Very important because one verse is warning you while the other is telling you to be cautious. Now, I love the phrase desperately wicked from the King James Version, and it translates and defines it as beyond cure. Desperately wicked in Hebrew means incurable illness. This lets me know that the problem is not the outward goodness that you and I do. That is merely deceptive. Jesus wants to address what's going on within. And the only way we can truly be pure in heart is to give our lives to Jesus and ask him to make us over again and do a good work within us. Psalms 51.10 says this. Create me in a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So God is the only one who makes our hearts pure by the sacrifice of his son through his sanctifying work in our lives. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, the standard version says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, I know that we covered so much today. You know, myself and Daniel, thank you for tuning in. And I'll leave you with this. A relationship is what you make it. So if you do Matthew 7, 7 and NLT, Keep on knocking, and you will receive. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Right? Asking, you shall receive. Seeking, you will find. Knocking, the door will be open. But the key factor in the NLT, and I've said this numerous times on the podcast, is something that you do continuously. You don't stop at one aspect, but it's a continued desire to want to learn. Right? You want to seek God out. That's what developing a relationship takes. And it can only get better every day. When you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you are pure in heart, when it comes to wanting to know him, you will be blessed by him as he will reveal himself to you personally. And before I say on that note for devotional time, is there anything you want to add, Daniel? No. Nothing to add. Okay, so again, the goal is to be pure in heart, is to devote yourself exclusively towards God, and to do it with the intentions and a desire for your heart to be changed. Not so much what is done outwardly. And that is what Christ has come to address and what he wants to do. And I believe that if he began a good work in you, 
it will be completed in the end. And that's what we have to believe in. And that's what we have to trust in. So we end this with devotional time. Malachi speaks of the Messiah as being like a refiner's fire. Jesus refers to believers as being the branches and to himself as being the vine. For a vine to produce fruit, it must be pruned. Those who are truly pure, then, are those who have been declared innocent because of the work of Jesus and who are being sanctified by his refining fire and his pruning. A lot to digest there, but a short prayer for the week might help. God, thank you for removing my stony heart and giving me a tender and responsive heart. And thank you for the spirit you gave me so I can follow you all the days of my life. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.